all good. Okay. Genesis 18. We continue our study through the book of Genesis. I was blessed by Pastor Andy last week and uh, took us through uh, Jeremiah, four or five chapters. Uh, did an amazing job. I appreciate his uh, gifting of teaching and feeding the flock. So we're in Genesis 18. And the attempt today is to go through this chapter, uh, then next week, chapter 19, and uh, that'll be the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is kind of a lead up to that chapter 19. And then just as a heads up, uh, the plan in the first two Sundays of November, I want to take a step back from our study in Genesis and try to give us an overview of the last days of the end of time. So, um, yeah, so a couple of Sundays. I've mentioned this before, and some of you have said, oh, we're going to go to Revelation. Maybe not. Probably not. We might touch on the book of Revelation. Obviously, that is the book of the future uh, prophecy and future history, as some people say. But, um, yeah, take a I don't know. We'll see where we go. But just so you, so you know uh, what's coming. Uh, so here we are in Genesis, eight, or Genesis 18. And uh, the chapter breaks up almost perfectly into two halves. <laughs> uh, and they're very different halves. The first half is very warm and fuzzy. And it's, it's Abraham's home with his wife Sarah, and it's uh, a communion with God himself. It's, it's very uh, friendly and warm and intimate. And the second half is uh, God revealing to Abraham what's about to go down in Sodom. Um, so they're so different. It's, one is like light and the other is like dark, honestly. Uh, or I see it also, the first half is all about life, and the second half is about death, quite honestly. And God is in charge of both of those. He gives life, and he takes it away. It's a sobering message. So the first eight verses of Genesis 18... Both halves of the chapter also break into two parts. So if you're an outlining type of person, uh, the first verse uh, 1 through 8 of chapter 18, it's hospitality. It's Abraham offering hospitality to uh, three men. Um, and then the second half, verses 9 through 15, it's new life. It's a birth announcement, the long-awaited birth announcement that Sarah is going to finally have a baby, okay? And then the second half of the chapter, of the second half of the chapter, also breaks into two parts. Uh, verses 16 to 22 are revelation, where God tells Abraham the future, the immediate future. And then verses 23 to the end of the chapter are intercession, uh, it's what Abraham does as a result of the information that God has given him. He goes into intercession for the people of Sodom. So that's how this breaks down. Um, let's just pick it up at verse eight, 
verse 1, chapter 18. I'm really nervous. I don't know why. So let's pray. Lord, maybe that's a good thing. Because out of the weakness comes your glory and strength. And uh, just pray you would bind the enemy from bringing any confusion. Uh, open our ears. Lord, as a friend once said recently, we hear with our ears, we listen with our heart. And may that be the case today, Lord. May we receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 18, verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. I'm just going to make some comments as we go through these verses. The first comment I want to make is the stark contrast between Abraham and Lot. Here in chapter 1, or chapter 18, 1, it says, he was sitting in the tent door. And if you go over to chapter 19, in verse 1, it says, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. What a remarkable contrast. One man, Abraham, he lived his whole life in a tent because Hebrews tells us that he realized, I'm just passing through. This is not my permanent home. I am bought with a price, so to speak, and heaven is my citizenship. Lot also was a brother, but Lot was, had compromised in his life. And We'll see Lot in heaven. It didn't end well for him. A lot of embarrassment. So it's just interesting, the two different perspectives. Uh, Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. Abraham sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Um, so it's probably around noon. Verse 2, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. Okay, so one of the observations uh, that occurred to me that uh, it says the Lord, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him. It doesn't even say who it is. And so that caused me to go, well, then this must be right in the same time frame uh, as chapter 17. And indeed it is. Because I want to remind you that in chapter 17, verse 21, chapter 17, 21, God speaking to Abraham said, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Your wife's going to have a baby, bro. <laughs> right? Abraham, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a baby. Well, that's really interesting because here uh, he said one year from now. She's going to have a baby. So Abraham, uh, based on the revelation that God had given him, 
he was looking at his calendar. And he's like, well, a little bit of time is gone. Nine months of pregnancy. We're getting close. God should be arriving any time now. You see, my friends, it was entirely out of their hands. Abraham and Sarah were beyond the possibility of natural childbirth. Biologically, both of them were outdated, so to speak. Okay? It was just not going to happen unless God supernaturally empowered them. And so it was completely out of their hands. It was, there was no hope for this prophecy coming to pass unless God intervened in their life. And so it's really interesting to me that Abraham wasn't given the exact time, but he was told that in a year's time, she's going to have a baby. So that tells me that as I look at the calendar and I look at the events going on around the world today, and I know what Jesus has told me the future is going to look like, it causes me to pay attention that he should be coming soon. And so that's I think the, the context here and why it says in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him by the trees. It's like, yeah, because we just had this conversation just a few months ago or a couple of months ago, Abraham. And so he lifted his eyes and he looked. Uh, it's the heat of the day. Uh, I don't know. It's the heat of the day. So maybe Abraham does what sometimes we do, right? You sit down, it's hot, it's warm, you're tired, right? <laughs> you just he nodded off. And, but there's three guys. Where they came from, how they got there, I don't know. Uh, we're going to find out that it's two angels in the Lord, right? Two of these men are going to go to Sodom by the time this chapter is over, and that's how we're introduced to them in chapter 19. And the Lord stays behind and talks to Abraham, and Abraham prays to him. And so, I don't know, maybe they scuffled their feet. It's like, wake them up. So he lifted up his eyes, and there's these three men. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. The word bowed is the identical word for worship. The first time the word worship is used in the Bible is in chapter 22 where Abraham was told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And Abraham went to the mount, and he said to his friends, you stay here, I and my son will go over here, and we will worship. Same word. Very cool. To bow, to submit, to acknowledge, to surrender, to pledge allegiance is worship. He bowed before. Here's the only living human being on the planet who has a covenant that God has given him and he could easily step back and, dude, you need to serve me. God has blessed me, not you. But Abraham was just a humble man. He knew that he was a sinner and he was saved by grace. And here comes the Lord and he ran and he, from the tent door and he bowed himself to the ground and he said, my Lord, if I have now found favor, do not pass on by your servant. So here's this unexpected visitation. Uh, Abraham says, look, I'll get you some water. You can wash your feet, hang out here. I'll bring you a morsel of bread. Okay, so hospitality. That's what Abraham is offering to these three men. Does he know that it's the Lord? Maybe not, thank you. 
Maybe not, but he certainly knows before this chapter is over and before this afternoon is over. So we're starting somewhere around noontime, and it's a little bit of a siesta, I guess, for Abraham and everybody that works for him. So verse 6, Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. By the way, do you remember that just in the previous chapter, just a few months prior to this, God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah, okay? Remember that. So God changes, Abraham means the father of many nations, right? A father of a multitude, literally. Sarah means princess. So uh, Sarah's in the tent, Abraham's sitting outside of the tent, he hurries into the tent, he says, quickly make ready three measures of meal, knead it, and make cakes. <laughs> three sias, your Bible might say, of fine meal is a fine meal. So we want, we want the best stuff here, right? This is like, I don't know what you call that kind of pastry flour, right? You, where you get the really delicate uh, baklava and stuff like that. It's so delicious, right? Knead it. So evidently there was leaven in the bread, and evidently there was uh, a lot of it, six meal or sias or fine meal, three measures, is a fair amount. Like, make a lot of bread. He said, I'm going to bring you a morsel of bread. And yet he made a boatload of bread. Or actually, Sarah did. So Sarah, probably a very large tent, right? Uh, maybe you've seen pictures of Bedouin tents. They're like homes, really. I think they have compartments in them. And uh, somewhere in this tent, there was a cooking area, right, where she would make the bread. So she's in the bread, in there, kneading it. I don't know, fellas, how that goes for you, but I don't very often just come home and say, hey, Joni, we got to feed a bunch of people right now. <laughs> like without any advance notice, right? Joni is an amazing woman and she would kick into gear and she would be very hospitable. And then after y'all left, <laughs> don't you ever do that again, <laughs> right? I'm sleeping on the couch. For <laughs> yep. But Abraham just like, girl, <laughs> they're here. Now, you know, Abraham's, remember, his name is changed. Her name is changed. He runs into the tent, Sarai, uh, Sarah, babe, I don't know, whatever your name is now. <laughs> you know, make some bread. Uh, they're here. This might be it. So then, verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And that kind of closes this little section about the hospitality. And keep in mind, I mean, this took time, right? You're, you're, you take a calf, and he's going to serve him veal. Right? So it's a young calf. He's got to bleed it out. He's got to skin it. He's got to gut it. He's got to butcher it. He's got to get the meat. He's got to be cooked, barbecued. Right? That took time. So they probably didn't even eat until early evening. Sarah's got to knead the bread, got to re-rise, knead it again, cook. Right? Um, kind of an interesting diet, by the way. Maybe we should start a new thing called the Abraham diet. I don't know. Because right? it's meat and dairy products, and bread. <laughs> uh, and so he fed him. 
No doubt they sat down on the ground, probably on something that covered the ground, and there is the Lord sitting on the ground with some pita bread and breaking off chunks and grabbing some meat and dipping it in the, the yogurt or cottage cheese or whatever. And it's all warm, right? There's no refrigeration. So they're, they're just eating. And it's, it's meat. And he's got little greasy fingers, you know. <laughs> right? And he's got crumbs on his beard. And this is our God. He's willing to eat with us. This is the only time in the Old Testament that God eats with humans. We come to the New Testament, and that's why I know this is Jesus. Because he's always eating with people when he comes. He was criticized for that. You're a glutton. You're, you're borderline alcoholic. Because you're just always eating and drinking. Don't you ever fast? Well, there's no need to fast until I'm gone. I'm the bridegroom. Now is the time to celebrate and enjoy company with each other. Critical, right? People were critical. You're eating with tax collectors and sinners. And it was the same mode of eating. They would eat with their hands and they would dip and double dip and triple dip. And by the time that sauce, hot pot or whatever it was in the middle, right, everybody has shared each other's saliva. And it was a true sense of fellowship. You all know this. That's Middle Eastern hospitality. We eat together. We share life to the koinonia is a Greek. This is our God. He sat down and enjoyed a meal. Actually, not so much with Abraham because it says at the end of verse 8 that he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Evidently, Abraham just assumed this role and position of, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. If you need anything else, just need a fresh, need a refill on the milk. Oh, you're getting a little low on the curds. Let's, let's refresh those. Sarah. Bread. We need more bread. Right? Abraham, just serving the Lord after worshiping him. He bowed before him. He worshiped him. Got on his knees before another man. So that's the end of the hospitality story. It's just so delightful. It's so warm and friendly. <laughs> then they said to Abraham, Where is Sarah? Your wife. See, now that's why I know it's the Lord, because the Lord is the one who changed her name in chapter 17. So here he arrives unannounced, and he's like, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, here in the tent. All right, so get the picture, right? Sarah is in the tent, whatever that's made, animal skin, tent, no doubt. Abraham and these three men are having this conversation outside of the tent. Where is she? She's in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. What do you call that? Thank you. <laughs> Y'all don't ever do that, do you? 
she's like, her ear is against that thing. <laughs> and she hears her name. He knows my name. This stranger knows me by name. Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Now we've mentioned this already. All right? So she's post-menopause. Now on top of that, we learned when we first were introduced to Sarah that she was unable to conceive. So she'd spent her whole life infertile, and now even any possibility of anything is completely gone. Do you see, my friends? Unless God regenerates her and him. Because in Romans 4, 19, it says, Abraham was not weak in faith when he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. His body was as good as dead. since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. They were, so to speak, dead, <laughs> incapable of producing life in and of themselves. They, they knew this, and it was, they've known this for now 25 years. God actually had told Sarah and Abraham way back 25 years ago, the Lord's been very good to sort of give us his age as we've progressed from chapter 12 to this point that he started off, we, he was 75 when we were introduced to him. And now he's 99. Well, actually, I guess he's had, he's going to have a birthday before Isaac's born because he'll be 100 and she'll be 90 when he's finally born. And so this is it, right? And Sarah hears that she's going to have a baby, which means they have to have sex, and she's like, well, I can't conceive, and he's, well, let's just say that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. She laughed. She didn't laugh out loud. Now, your Bible might say she laughed to herself. It's the same thing. I've checked it out. It means it was an internal thing. Inside, she's just like... <laughs> I think maybe, now nobody can see her. She's in the tent. The guys are outside having the conversation. And she laughed within herself saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. I love Sarah. She is so direct. And she's just like real. She's like, oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that we would actually have some, share intimacy? My husband? <laughs> she's just like, that is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> and all that was done silently. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? The Lord knows what's in your heart. It was all done silently. And yet the Lord heard Sarah laughing. He knew without actually hearing. And he says out loud, which of course she is hearing, because her ear is still plastered to the tent door. <laughs> Why did Sarah laugh? It's impossible. 
And the Lord, notice by the way, verse 13, it says, the Lord said. Did you see that with your eyes? The Lord, all capital letters, that means Jehovah. Jehovah said, there's God in human form having a, and he's just finished eating, wiping his mouth, right? Thanks, Abe, for the food. He's having a conversation with his, his friend, the one that he's called and loves. The Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, what a question. God can make something out of nothing in your life and in my life. And all oh, that we would live with this confidence, brothers and sisters. The Lord will move mountains in our lives. He does move mountains in our lives. Eric so well talked about one of the biggest problems in all of our lives is fear, the crippling sense of fear that cripples us. And we, there's good reason to have fear. Sometimes. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We see this so often in the Lord Jesus' ministry. Amen? Hey, Phil. Why don't we feed everybody? Uh, there's about 10,000. I know. What do you think it's going to cost to feed them? This actually happened. John chapter 6. Philip is the guy I was referring to, one of the disciples. And Philip's just like this. He does some analytics. He was a mathematician guy. He's like, well, okay, so there's 5,000 men, and half of those are married. There's women. There's children. Probably about 200 bucks. If we were to run over to town and get enough food to feed everybody, he said, you don't need anything. Just what do you got? Oh, I got, what is it, five loaves and two fish? Nothing too hard for the Lord. It's one of the miracles that was recorded in all four of the Gospels showing us how important it is. The Lord can make something out of nothing. He can do, and there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Oh, that we would live with that confidence and step out in faith. And the Lord continued, verse 14, he said, At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> it's not a good thing, brothers and sisters, to deny the truth when it's been revealed to you. It can be very uncomfortable when something has come your way unexpectedly and you see yourself and you respond in denial, and you lie. No, no. It's not a good thing. It's a good thing if you acknowledge. I, what, what Sarah, what Sarah, what could she or should she have said? She's like, well, I can look at myself and I can be completely convinced, or I can look at the one who's talking to my husband who's El Shaddai, Almighty God, and I can step in an action of faith, say, okay, well, if you said it, then I will believe it, <laughs> even though I don't feel it, or even though I don't understand it. It's not a good thing, brothers and sisters, to deny 
when truth has been revealed to you. It's an awesome thing. When the Lord shines his light in our hearts and we realize, I'm a sinner. I had an unexpected moment in my office not so long ago, reading Galatians. I went down on my knees. I said, Lord, I am so full of myself. I am embarrassed. Please, crucify me. I already did, was the reply. Walk in newness of life. Don't deny, brothers and sisters, when God's word comes to you and he says, no, no, that is who you are. You need to own that. You need to confess it. Some of you are full of lust. And it's taking you into places you shouldn't be going in your head and with your eyes and maybe with your own bodies. And the Lord's saying, don't deny that. Just own it. Come to me. Repent. Be forgiven. Verse 16. Now the whole everything changes. Okay? Meal's over. Supper's done. Blow the candles out. <laughs> it says, Then the men rose from there, the men, three of them, and looked towards Sodom. Abraham went with them to send them on the way. What a good host he was. Right? He walked them to their car, to their donkey. <laughs> I don't know any of that. Right? And he sees them off. Right? Stands on the steps and just waves. Right? He's a good host, seeing them all the way. Thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking to us. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now that's an odd thing for God to say, isn't it? Is God deliberating with himself? Let's see. Should I say it or shouldn't I? <laughs> right? Uh, now remember, this is, and again, verse 17, the Lord said. Okay? So this is, this is the Lord. I could very well be Jesus before Bethlehem. <laughs> okay? Jesus is God. He's always existed, but could very well be that he's just come here now in human form, and he's very relatable, right? He's, and so on. So I think what he's revealing here is that um, he's revealing, this is speaking in terms, I'm struggling with this. He's speaking in terms to show us the mind of Christ. Okay? It's the mind of Christ is what we're seeing here. God's not questioning himself and what I should do. He's not, there's not a deliberation literally. It's just showing us, he's going to show us why he's going to tell Abraham. And, and he's going to tell Abraham for a couple of reasons. One, he tells us in verse 18, because he's going to be a mighty, a great and mighty nation. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So what God has to say to Abraham, he wants that to be known for all time, 
right? So in other words, Abraham, this is God, this is the mind of Christ. I'm going to give revelation to my, to my child, to my son or daughter, and what are you going to do with that revelation? That's why we're going to talk about the end times in November, right? What do we do with that revelation? We pass it on to the next generation. That's what we do. We make sure that they know. Because when I'm gone, if the Lord hasn't come yet, be sure you know the Lord is coming. All right? So that's what I see in verse 18. He will surely become a great and mighty nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. So I'm depositing truth into my, and I'm going to just say this, into the believers, into the church, if you will. I'm depositing this truth of what's going to happen in the future, and I'm putting it in charge of Abraham, or in charge of you and I. And there you go. So that's the first thing. The second thing in verse 19, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Okay? So tell others and tell your family. It's almost a parental thing, right? It's like a parent saying to a child, don't do that, right? That's how I raise my kids, sorry. Right? There was discipline, not with the hand. So he deposits the truth with his, with his man, with the people, and he, he expects Abraham to show those who are living in his own home, and he expects those of us in leadership in the church to use discipline for people in the church that need it so that we aren't caught unaware when the Lord comes. Do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So, <clears throat> verse 19, I just want to take a second glance at the opening words of verse 19. He said, for I have known him. Now, that's my new King James. For I have known him. All right, I think your Bible might say, I have chosen him. Yeah, that's okay. They're very similar, very probably identical in meeting. Uh, I have known him. It, it virtually says, uh, I have made Abraham my friend. I have made him my friend. That's what it means. I have him, known him. I have chosen him. I've brought him close. And so God in deliberating and God telling us his mind, he's saying, look, I'm going to share with my friend the secrets of my heart. That's what God does to, with us. Amen? John 15, verse 15. I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. All right? So I have known him. Abraham is my friend. God shares his heart with his friends. Are you the friend of God? Right? We're all his friends if we believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom, and so here it is. Now he's telling why he took a look at Sodom. 
says, the Lord said, verse 20, the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Again, big term, right? Anthropomorphic, right? So it's uh, language that speaks in human terms. We're talking about God, the Lord said, but we're using language that's sort of... Uh, anthropomorphic in the sense that it's, it's God saying, I need to go see this so I can be sure, right? Well, of course, God already knows. He's already took a look at Sodom. He already is ex- going to tell him the, what the future for Sodom holds. So what's this telling us? I think one of the beautiful things this tells us is that God is not indiscriminate. He just doesn't suddenly just go off, fly off the handle and just discipline somebody or bring rash judgment down on people. My brothers and sisters, the problems in Sodom have been going on for a couple decades. When Lot first departed from Abraham, he cast his eyes toward the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it told us in chapter 13, Genesis 13, 13, that uh, it was exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And that's when Abraham was 75. Here he is now, 24 years later. Abraham's already had an intervention, if you remember. Sodom and Gomorrah got captured by that confederacy. And it was Abraham and his men who went and rescued the king of Sodom. And then on the way back, he meets Melchizedek, who brought bread and wine. And he's a type of the priest of the Most High God, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, king of peace. He's had a lot of grace and opportunity and witness extended to him over time. So I just want to say that because God is not quick. He's slow to anger. He's not quick in exercising his judgment. But he will judge. He will judge. So I will go down now and see. I I believe that's what's being communicated to us here and in verse 21. Verse 22, it says, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. The Lord. What a great verse. Abraham still stood before the Lord. He did not go away. Verse 23, And Abraham came near, and he enters into prayer. Okay? So, What do we do with the book of Revelation and all the accompanying scriptures that support the book of Revelation? We tell others and we pray. Really good. Abraham's like, his heart is broken. The outcry. Abraham knew the outcry, they had a reputation. He knows what's coming. He drew near and he stood before the Lord and he prayed. Matthew Henry said this, God has shared his mind. This gives Abraham liberty to share his mind. I like that. Since God has spoken very very freely to Abraham, he's like, well, since we're talking... (laughs) Let me tell you what I think. The word of God caused prayer 
to God. In the word, God speaks to us so that in prayer, we speak to him. Now, I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, and I want you to hear this because I'm, I'm learning this myself. The only source for accurate news and understanding of what's going to happen in the world or what's going to happen at all is from God. The only reliable source for what's going to happen and to understand what's happening in the world comes from God in his word. God spoke to Abraham and he replied with prayer. He heard the word of the Lord. I read this. I'm just quote this to you from a man named C.H. McIntosh. And by the way, he wrote this in 1880. You would have thought he wrote it yesterday. I do not need to study the newspaper to know what is going to happen in the world. God's world or God's word reveals all I want to know. Had Abraham visited Sodom to obtain information about its facts, had he applied to some of its leading intelligent men to know what they thought of Sodom's present condition and future prospects, he would have had, how would he have been answered? Doubtless they would have called his attention to their agricultural and architectural schemes, the vast resources of their country. Doubtless, too, they would have never dreamed of judgment. And if anyone had made mention of it, their mouths would have been filled with laughter. Hence, it is plain that Sodom was not the place in which to learn about Sodom's end. Hear the word of the Lord and believe it. The Lord has deposited into our care prophecy and truth of the fact that he is coming again and what that's going to look like prior to his coming. And that ought to inspire in us a sense of prayer. So verse 23, Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What a great verse. What a great sentence. That's a memory verse. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Listen, friends, there are common things that happen in this world. There, there's, in other words, Abraham is, he's concerned about the people at, at large, the, the, the populace of Sodom and Gomorrah, obviously his own nephew, Lot, who's a righteous man, and he's living there. But it goes beyond that. He's like, Lord, are you going to bring a calamity down upon everyone indiscriminately? It just doesn't seem right. And I want to just say and make it clear to all of us, as Christians, we are not exempt from suffering. You all know that, right? The, the psalmist, famously, Psalm 73, is looking around. He goes, the prosperous and the wicked, they just seem to get more prosperous and more wicked. And they don't even, they thumb their nose at God. And it makes me mad and it doesn't seem right. And here we are following the Lord and we're struggling. 
And the whole psalm, that whole song shifts. So he says, and then I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end. And that changed everything. So there are things that happen to us in this world that are common to all men. John 16, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good courage, I've overcome the world. We share in suffering in life with others. And actually God can redeem that suffering in the heart of his men and women who go through it hope, with hope, not hopelessly, right? And there can be a witness that comes out of that. Okay? We all understand that, right? That is very, very different from God's judgment on sinful men. Calamities happen for enormous numbers of reasons. But when God chooses to act purposefully to judge, that is very different. You and I will be exempt from that. Okay? Matthew 25. The king returns and he puts the good on the right and the bad on the left. Sheep and goats. He said to the sheep, the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a very different thing, brothers and sisters. When we realize that, fears start to go away. It is a fear that I have, to be very honest with you, and that is, how am I going to die? I know I'm going to die, unless the Lord takes me alive in his rapture. I just don't like the thought of the process. <laughs> it's already starting to get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> 66, right? And in our life group this past Tuesday, the Lord said, I'm going to complete the work I've begun in you until the day of Christ. And I thought, there you go. I got a plan for you. And even if the, the worst things happen and you end up infirmed in pain, I've got a purpose in that, Scott. And you can rejoice in that. And it starts to dissipate the fear of that one thing. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered, and he said, indeed, now, indeed. There we go, Carlton. Now I, I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Okay, I want to point out a couple of things about Abraham that are so cool in this little prayer. It's one of the first recorded prayers in the Bible. All right, people prayed. Enoch walked with God. Noah, they prayed all the time. This is one of the first recorded. It is the first recorded prayer. All right? But what I see is faith, humility, and love. Faith. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He knows God. He knows his character. And he has faith in that. And we see humility. Look, I'm just a man. And here I am talking to God. Right? And love. He's, he's concerned about the unbelievers. It's beautiful. <laughs> Verse 28, suppose there were 
less than five, or five less than the 50. Would you destroy all the city for that lack of five? He said, yeah, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. Notice he's increasing now, a little bit more bold. He said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Lord, sorry, then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Verse 33 is interesting. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Who's talking to who? The Lord's like, conversation's over, Abe. Well done, son. We've enjoyed the fellowship with you. And Abraham returned to his place, back to Memre, back to his tent. Remember, he had walked the Lord. He'd walked with God. He took him out before he departed. Let me just uh, close with this final thought, okay? First half of this chapter, very warm, very delightful, sharing time together. New life is promised. New life coming out of nothing. Life coming out of death, right? And God actually did do that. He actually did. Hebrews tells us that Sarah received power to conceive. And Abraham received the ability to share his seed. And in fact, after Sarah dies, he marries another woman and has multiple children. So God brought life into their dead bodies, right? It's a beautiful type of new birth. What happened to them physically is also true for us spiritually, right? We're all dead in our trespasses and sins, deceived and desirous and disobedient and deserving, Ephesians 2. But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive again in Jesus Christ. So that's the first part of this. The second part is the reality that God's going to judge. The judge of all the earth. I just want to close on a good note. <laughs> because Abraham's talking to the judge of all the earth. And the thing that strikes me is that the judge of, when I know the gospel, when I know Jesus Christ, and I do know Jesus Christ, I see that the judge of all the earth was judged for all the earth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Won't you be righteous in your acts? Yes. And I think that's the one thing when I come to the end of the Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, Oh, righteous Father, by the time I end this prayer, Judas is showing up and it's game on. I am depending on your righteousness to get me through death and back up out of the grave. You will do what is right. And Jesus was a righteous man. 
You all know that, right? That's why those trials in John are so important. John 18 and 19. It was declared seven different times that he was an innocent man. Pilate said it three times. I find nothing wrong with this man. Scourge him. Comes back, nothing wrong with this man. I find nothing wrong with this man. Pilate's wife said it had nothing to do with that righteous man. Herod interviewed Jesus, sent a message back to Pilate. I don't find anything wrong with him. The thief on the cross who became, who went to heaven by the end of the day. He said, he's done nothing wrong. And after Jesus died, the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross said, that was a righteous man. He was innocent. And that's the whole point. He lived his whole life without ever sinning so that he could die the death that you and I deserve. God poured out his judgment on Jesus for the wicked things that you and I think and say and do. He absorbed it all. God looked upon him and he poured out his wrath. Oh my goodness. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He shall see, God shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The judge of all the earth did what is right. So I'll just wrap it up. If you don't know the Lord, the wrath of God is hanging over your head. That's just a fact. And do not die without repenting for all your sin and bowing before him and saying, please save me, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy. Don't do that. Because judgment, death is not an escape. It's pointed on the man once to die and then comes the judgment. Death is going to be delivered up and that's what happens. And people will stand and they'll have to give an account. The books will be opened. And the book of life. If your name's not registered in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, there is an unfortunate and eternal separation from God. It's darkness. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. Repent and believe. And you shall be saved. You know, it's so fascinating to me that at the Last Supper, the Lord kind of turn the tables as in the hospitality thing and the good part of this chapter, the good news, right? The Lord gave a meal. He served them. He serves us. He delights in giving us his life. In Luke, it tells us, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. And he, and he said, look, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant partake and you will live eternally when you believe what all that body and blood means. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord, for walking through this with us, for us seeing you here in the Old Testament, full of light and truth, communion, 
pray you'd be glorified in the hearts and minds of all of us in this room and all of us in this community and on this campus. Lord, you have deposited to us your grace. We have knowledge of things that are too wonderful for me, almost as David would say. Lord, of what is coming. You're coming. Our bridegroom is coming. The King of kings and Lord of lords. You will rule and reign in righteousness. Pray today would be new life, Lord. New life. Revive, refresh. Give new life today. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.